Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, hardware, software, security, privacy, um, all of the stuff that uh, interests and inspires us and, uh, and sometimes scares us uh, a little bit as well. Um, tonight, behind the desk, um, looking very dapper and, and ready for uh, um, all things newsworthy, uh, Mr. Dan Salmon. Good evening. You're looking very well. Uh, good yourself, Warren. Thank you. Um, yeah, feeling good. Um, not a hump day at all. Um, uh, one of the good Wednesdays. Um, I'll be with you too. I'm Warren Davies. And tonight on the show, if you've ever struggled with uh, recycling something hefty uh, or had a, a sinkhole in your street, as many of you have out there, I'm sure, um, you'll know it can be hard to get something done about it um, and, and figure out just what to do. Um, uh, local city council websites, uh, not a lot of fun, but a local team have been working on this, and the CEO and founder of Snap Send Solve, uh, Danny Gorog, uh, joins us shortly to have a chat about that. Uh, VR is also something that we do like to talk about uh, from time to time on Bite Into It, um, and we're always keen to hear, uh, I guess, about good ways to bring it uh, into mainstream use in interesting ways. Um, global firm Igloo Vision um, have just set up shop in Melbourne, and their head of APAC, James Sheridan, uh, joins us uh, a little later on the show to have a chat ab- about that. But uh, before then, there is a, a bit of news going on. Uh, Dan Salmon, um, who walks the NBN beat, um, you'll find him <laughs> up and down Burke Street um, talking NBN. And um, muttering to myself, generally. Muttering to yourself. Um, what have you uh, uncovered this well, week? Well, look, it's been an interesting week in NBN land. Um, the ACCC is, uh, has announced that it's going to be examining unfair pricing for the basic NBN plans. Now, a few weeks ago, we did touch on um, changes to NBN pricing uh, and the, uh, the uh, I suppose, push to make the uh, 12 megabit per second speeds a little bit more cost-effective and a little bit more accessible to people. And the uh, ACCC, the Australian Contra- Competition and Consumer Commission, will be considering just that. Um, there aren't that many NBN providers that offer unlimited plans on the, t- the lowest available speed, which is 12 megabits per second, and those that do generally price them around $60 a month. And that's not that much less expensive than the next step up. So I think what what they're going to be looking at is really, is it going to be cost effective or is, is it good for consumers that the cheapest um, NBN uh, plans are not going to be that much cheaper than this next step up? Now, this is, um, you know, a, there are a lot of, I suppose, complexities to this, especially when you consider that the NBN uh, is intended to replace all of the current uh, telecommunications infrastructure that we've got, so your copper wires. And uh, if for anyone out there who has got an NBN connected to their house or has gotten the letter saying that NBN's going to be connected to your house, you do get told that you've got a year once it gets switched on to actually do it, otherwise you won't have a connection at all. So they, they, they've, they've attempted the carrot and stick approach, but forcing people onto these $60 a month plans is not necessarily the most, uh, uh, I suppose, good way of doing it for people who might be on low incomes or with limited means. Mm, yeah, and the telcos have been, uh, I guess, banging the drum about this as well, um, mm. because it affects their business. And, Absolutely. Um, 
um, they bear the brunt of uh, a, a lot of um, the flack um, mm. from pricing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Rodney Sims did say um, it is a, a peak time for service activations and they're really trying to um, find a way to promote competition and interest of consumers, which is difficult in a kind of, you know, monopoly in mm. terms of service delivery there. Um, but also, uh, I guess, allow NBN Co to sort of grow its revenue and find cash to invest in its um, uh Fibers and, uh, and and wires. Indeed, indeed, and it's interesting. Um, in related news uh, today, the uh, chairman of uh, Telstra, John Mullen, has said that um, Australians would all have had access to high-speed internet at a fraction of the cost if the NBN had not been built. Now, um, that's a, that's a pretty big claim to be making. I, you know, obviously, you know, if we're if we're leaving things to the market, sometimes the market doesn't necessarily fill the gaps that a, uh, a telco would need to fill in order to satisfy their universal service obligation for example mm. but um it's uh yeah look it's a, it's an interesting argument to be making I'm, i mean i think we can all agree that the nbn could have been done better mm-hmm. uh but at the same time saying that we shouldn't have done it and just let let it to the market that would have ended up with you know some fantastic fast internet close to the city center of city but not much out there in deniliquin yeah exactly and also it kind of um th- there was a great piece um in the monthly on it about um the things that we've done wrong but also if you leave it to the market they don't tend to have that uh 20 30 year view on these things um uh share prices directorships all of that are are very short term Mm. um and taking the hit to invest in something like let's run cables out across the entire country is not always a popular decision in the short term so um some kind of um, government involvement um or um just some foresight yeah is is required um one thing that uh, I had no foresight on is the Google uh, hardware event, um, which was on uh, in New York um, uh, about a day or so ago. Um, I always get uh, confused about um, what time it is in New York and, and when things actually happened, um, but it was definitely yesterday. Um, I the more the more I see the um, the Google hardware stuff, the more um, I do like what they do in terms of a hardware, how they use it, and privacy and so forth is another kettle of fish altogether. And mm-hmm. um, they they do uh, have a lot of work to do there. Um, but some of their hardware, in terms of particularly bringing the price down and making stuff more accessible for um, people who can't afford some of the the bling and stuff that's out there uh, on the shelves, is good. Um, so probably the biggest thing that they announced yesterday is um, the uh, two. Uh, well, this year's Pixel phone. Um, it comes in uh, two sizes. Um, they've got rid of the fingerprint sensor, which is good. I've never really liked those. Mm. Um, it's been replaced by a face unlock feature, a feature that I don't I don't like either. Um, so maybe I'll just kind of put it on the desk and like the fact that I saved a few hundred bucks but yeah. never use it. Um, it's got uh, a square camera module on the back. Um, it's got a couple of lenses. Um, doesn't have, the, I think, the three like the iPhone 11. Um, but um, it's a it's a good phone. Um, people rave about um, pixels um, and, and how good they are um, compared to some of the other ones out there. So it's worth having a look. It's a little bit cheaper. They're still not cheap. Um, uh, so it's you know it's definitely an aspirational item um, having some of these premium smartphones. But um, price is a little bit lower than some of the ones out there. Yeah. I mean, I've just gone through there. They've got, they've all of a sudden got some very familiar-looking wireless headphones that look almost exactly like the ones that Apple offer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's. It, it, I think it's just. Are, are we at the point now where like advances in hardware, as interesting as they are, aren't as exciting as they used to be? I think we've got to that point. 
Oh no, I'm ex- I'm excited. You're excited. If, if anyone wants to come to the Lomond afterwards and talk about these <laughs> things, uh, I probably won't be there, but we could like message and stuff. Yeah, like no, that. That, I think yeah. that's what Twitter's for. There, yeah. there, there's definitely some opinions on Twitter about that that you should jump on board with Warren. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Pixel Buds, um, great name, sounds friendly. Um, there are some frustrations on getting them to work properly. Pairing um, was a bit of a challenge, so maybe one of the things the Pixel phones uh, aren't doing particularly well. Mm. Um, but they are out. So if you do like the Google stack, um, that's worth looking. Yet. Um, also, the Pixelbook Go. Um, it was kind of like the the first Chromebook that was kind of you know really uh, substantial, um, and the Pro version of this um, is now out. Um, so it's got uh, Intel i7 processor, up to 16 gig of RAM, 256 gig of storage, 12 hour battery, uh, which is pretty good. That is good. A couple of USB C ports, um, a headphone jack, which is great. I don't think my MacBook. Wait, I'm just having a look at it now. Uh, oh no, I've got a USB C and a headphone jack, and that's about all. Um, and it's got a ribbed rubber bottom for a better grip. Um, so um, it's always good to have something to hang on to. Um, and the Nest Mini speaker is out as well. Um, and uh, these are actually really good. Um, mm. I do like the the Nest speakers, um, especially. Uh, I'm certainly no expert um, in terms of privacy with the Nest speakers, um, but if there's a way that you can hack into those and shut those off. Um, that's great. I did have one of those creepy conversations on the weekend where all we had uh, in the room were our phones and um, nothing else. And I never speak about this topic at all usually mm. and got the ad served straight away. So I'm still still doubting on Apple about how legit that um, privacy is. That's been happening to me a lot more lately. Or maybe I'm just being a lot more heightened to it. But it's just like mm. you'll, you'll just have an innocuous half conversation and then all of a sudden it's going to be it appears. And like, I don't know, maybe is it because we're more aware of it now and we don't think it's a coincidence? We're aware of it. Uh, but there is there is also a lot of coincidence. I think most mm. of these are coincidence, and you know we we talk about a lot of stuff that's out there that also pops up in our feed, and you yeah once you're aware of it you notice it more. Yeah. But I have had a few conversations where I haven't I haven't searched for anything, I haven't looked for anything, I haven't posted about anything, mm-hmm. just an obscure topic, and then all of a sudden it's everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's a bit weird, a bit strange. Yeah. Um, Another thing that uh, I did want to talk about, um, if you uh, work in the not-for-profit space or, or help uh, NGOs and other things um, like I do a little bit, um, uh, finding a good way to cost-effectively uh, encourage people to campaign or fundraise or do something on your behalf um, is has not always been cheap. Um, there's usually a cost involved. But uh, one of the large providers there, uh, GoFundMe, um, has launched a free platform for nonprofits and charities um, and rolled out a donate button which you can embed just with a, a simple piece of code um, everywhere, which is really good. Um, so the CEO has come up with a twee way of expressing it, um, the giving layer of the internet, um, um, which means we've got lots of layers now um, yeah. and very deep, 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 deep down there, um, especially in Australia, is the giving layer. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think this is good. GoFundMe charity, uh, um check it out um there's a few out there that you have to pay um pay a, a percentage and sometimes a percentage on transactions which is not great um so if there is uh, in fact a giving layer of the internet um this is a good thing how, how is there much information on how they will be vetting whether you are a charity or not do you need to be like registered with the australian charities and not-for-profits commission or anything like that or are they going to be a bit more i suppose uh forgiving than that do you think let me let me have a look into that. Yeah. I haven't. I've just kind of got the news piece on it and yeah. uh, how they're planning to go about it. But uh, I'm just scrolling. well. I suppose it's a, it's a US based thing, by the look of it for now. But yeah. Yep. That's that's that one. Yeah. Um, 
I would like to hear about um, speed reading. Yes, well, that's good because I'm trying to speed read right now. Um, there is uh, some research that's come out of Macquarie University in Sydney that has uh, said that speed reading is a uh, swear, swear warning. B- oh, no, BS. Let's just call it BS. Um, the uh, Department of Psychology up, up at Macquarie um, has said that it is physically impossible to accurately read more than 500 words a minute, which means that when you say you're trying to speed read the 100 emails that you receive each day, you are lying. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they say it's a f- reading is a physical activity, and just like any other physical activity, there are limits to human performance. Um, now, they, he said that they've said that readers have to look at at least 80% of the words that they read in order to understand them, and that takes 150 to 300 milliseconds to identify a word, and then about 150 milliseconds for the eyes to move between words. And because of these you know, physical uh, limits, you, you've, you literally can't do it. Now, I mean... I, I think I, I think I'm on board with this idea. Um, there there are obviously people out there who might think that um, they are possibly better at it than others. Which you or might multitasking, or which multi- is also there's a there, yeah, yeah that's a that's a big question is whether multitasking is actually a thing. But uh, it's is it just that you are kind of you know distracting yourself to the point where you are doing everything poorly rather than just um, trying to focus your time on one. Thing. I think I think mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot to be said just for doing one thing at a time and doing it well that's that that's my personal opinion i don't i don't don't know whether anyone else subscribes to that but you know i yeah i agree i think uh, doing one thing well um is important um we have found at robot that is doing one thing very well the uh mit technology review has got a great story up at the moment about a robot that uh taught itself how to solve rubik's cube by creating a a training regime for itself um, to figure out how to do this um, so there are um, uh, robots out there that do do a, a really quick job of solving Rubik's Cube, but not with a, a kind of a, a, a synthetic hand uh, version. The actual motor skills involved um, in a robotic hand actually solving a Rubik's Cube are, are quite complex. Uh, researchers at OpenAI in San Francisco, um, it's a um, for-profit AI research lab, um, uh, released that they've been able to do this. And there is a, a great video of this happening um but yeah I, I think it's easy to kind of enjoy that but um the fact that it wrote itself a training regime followed it and then cracked it um is the interesting thing so um it was modeled on the way that uh, animals learn um and then um yeah it it took doesn't say how long it took mm-hmm. i think it's still impressive anyway well absolutely i think any, any machine that can do learning better than it used to is always going to be an interesting thing to look at like i mean you know we're looking at all kinds of applications for machine learning i I, i'm I'm excited and terrified to see where it goes basically (laughs) independently yours triple r 102.7 um if you uh have Anything that lands in your street, uh, be it a UFO, be it an old fridge, um, I don't know, being a be it a car that's been dumped, um, you've usually got to do something about it yourself. Um, and it can be a bit of a hassle, but fortunately, a local team have done something about it. And we're now joined in studio by CEO and founder of Snap, Send, Solve, Danny Gorog. Thanks for coming in, Danny. Thanks, Warren. Thanks for having me. What was the uh, what was the big piece of junk or the big hassle that made you go? I'm <laughs> well, just going to do something about this myself. Long, it's kind of a slightly long and boring story, but um, about nine years ago, I'd started with a couple of mates an app development company because then apps were really cool, 
and uh, we didn't have a huge amount of stuff to do. And we found that the state government at the time, the Brumby government, was running a competition called App My State. Mm. And it was all about using publicly available data to build something kind of interesting and cool. Mm. And at the time, I had um, I'd had my first child, my son. He was like uh, probably three years old, and we were at the the local park. He loved the swing. The swing was broken. He went crazy. And I came back into the office on Monday. I said, "Guys, I think we've got an, I've got an idea. We build an app. Doesn't matter where you are. We just make it really easy to send a report to the right council. Mm. And that's how it started. And um, kind of nine years later we, we we're reasonably popular i mean mm. a lot of people have heard about us a lot of i think a lot of people have heard about us but then mm. you know at a, at a macro level not that many but we're doing mm. about uh nearly thirty thousand reports a month mm. across australia and new zealand mm-hmm. and um when you actually dig into it um reporting stuff stuff that you see on the street it's actually not clear who's responsible for what mm. let me give you an example so I, i'm not sure nicholson street here i'm not mm. sure if that's a um, a Vic Road, uh, a Vic Road road, or it's a Moreland City Council road. But let's say um, there's a dead possum on the footpath, right? That's Moreland City Council's problem. If someone kicks that onto the road, it's Vic Road's problem. Mm. And mm. so it's really actually pretty complicated for a consumer. Or I've, seen, a s- I've seen this film. It's called The Bridge uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. or The Tunnel, depending yeah. on which one you want. It's pretty complicated. Um, when you're a citizen and you're just trying to make sure you live in a nice neighbourhood, about who to tell stuff, who to tell where there's, when there's a problem, mm. and that's really the, the sort of the background of Snaps and Solve. So if you um, report an abandoned shopping trolley, we say, well, what is it? And you say abandoned trolley Coles, and it, that will go to Coles. If you report a, um, you know, a, 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 a water leak. That would go to the relevant water authority. If it's a council issue, if it's a you know a, a trip hazard or a problem with a playground, that'll go to the council. If it's um, you know one of the thousands of parks that we have around Victoria, that would go to Parks Victoria, mm. and the list goes on and on and on. And we keep adding um, different authorities. The, the latest one we've added is Telstra. So there are millions of these Telstra pits, the pit and equipment that you see, you know the big, and sometimes you see these mm. huge holes mm. in the in the pavement. Mm. Um, that's not a council problem. That's a Telstra problem. So now you, now you can take a photo of that and send it straight onto Telstra. And the idea is that if we make it really easy to report, people who maybe couldn't be bothered doing it any normally would go, you know what, I can have an app on my phone, not that hard. Mm. And we automatically know whether you're in Moreland or whether you're in Yarra or whether you're in Port Phillip or wherever mm. you are. So we just think that, that one app makes a lot of sense to do this rather than downloading an app for the council, an app for report the Telstra pit of the mm. app for the water company. You know, mm. People and- aren't going to do that. And do you need to have you entered into arrangements with these organisations, or is that something? So that, yeah, yeah. Well, so good question. When we started, it was app, from App My State. All the all the, um, the the boundaries of all the councils are public. Um, all of the councils in Australia and New Zealand have publicly available email addresses. So we just set it up that we basically we worked out where you are, and we and we then let you send the the, the details to the council, and that's that's how it works. So um, councils get access to all the information we have. And we now have an enterprise offering, which we um, we we partner with a lot of councils around Australia, mostly a lot in Melbourne, um, and they subscribe to a package that we provide to them, like, and they get API access, so they can kind of programmatically get the reports. They can customise the incident types that they present to their um, users in their region, and they can do a whole heap of other things that we're building out. So it's a it's a pretty good arrangement. What's happening over time, though, is People are transitioning. People don't want to call the call centre of the council anymore. They want to, you know, interact digitally and quickly. 
and um, and that's why we we're just growing pretty quickly. Cool. When you say um, it goes to Coles or it goes to so and so, do people have to make a decision, or does the app decide? Well, if you've taken a photograph of that, then it's a council issue. We're or? not we're not quite that clever. You need to take a photo. You need to confirm your location, yep. and then you need to choose from a list of incident types. Right. So, in the example of a Coles trolley, you'd go trolley, and then the next uh, the child category would be Coles Woolies sure. IGA, and yep. so you just check, and that's it. Sure. Yeah. Yep. And do you? Uh, I suppose get people who use the app to submit something to a council or to Coles, for example, and then something might not happen as quickly as they hope and then that the feedback goes back to you rather than to yeah, the organisation that's responsible look, for it? You know, we're, you know, we're very good at the snapping and the sending. The solve is actually not <laughs> out. You know, we're not responsible for the solve. Started off a snap send. <laughs> yeah, yeah we actually solve. own the domain snapsend.com. <laughs> but uh, anecdotally, so we are talking to partners about how we close that loop because I think that's an important loop to close but you know we've got over 11,000 reviews on the app store four and a half star um, rating which is pretty good we're actually just in the middle of running a survey a user survey at the moment and you know like our MPS is like 74 which is super high um, you know, 95% of people think it makes a difference having snaps and self 90, you know 70% of people have said that um, the council or authority responds really well to the report so Anecdotally, it's really great, but I can't give you the, the exact detail. But there are certainly cases where councils don't respond um, and people get very frustrated. They normally get frustrated at the council. Um, so they'll call the council and go, oh, I reported this on Samsung, so why haven't you fixed it? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Mm. So, yeah, but it's a good point. How do you, how do you address that kind of feedback loop? Um, it's kind of... Uh, I guess one of the good things in a service is just kind of knowing th- where things are at, almost like tracking a parcel or Uber Eats. Yeah. Like we love kind yep. of like tracking yep. stuff now. Yep. When you don't kind of own that, is there a way to do something like most most kind of Mullen City Council things get solved in three days? Or how do you we, manage that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, we, we're not there yet. I think we could get there. And, mm. and like I said, we are working already with a couple of councils around closing the loop because mm. once, a, once a report is open in the council system, it does get tracked. So it's mm. open, it's in progress, it's closed. Mm. And there's no reason why we can't feed that back to the yeah. user who reported it. And therefore, we can go, you know, in, you know in, it, takes, it takes normally 10 days to resolve an X mm. query. So we should be able to get there. We just mm. haven't, haven't got there yet. Do you have to do some of the funny help desk stuff yourself? Like I've got, there's a loud dog driving a disco car on Bell Street. You know, we get some pretty kooky stuff. I don't do it myself. I've got a team of people mm. and who do a great job of it. And um, we we what I, what I I'm always amazed at is how passionate the people who use Snaps and Solve are. They are just so passionate at keeping their communities clean, mm. and um, they really are invested in 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 making sure that things get fixed and mm. i really just rate that as a you know as a citizen of the world mm. because you know i'm busy in my day-to-day stuff i'm busy doing a hundred things and mm. you know i think when people take the time to actually say hey there's a problem here you're responsible for fixing it here you go i just think that's a that's a, a that, that's a better society to live mm-hmm. in than one where people walk past the graffiti and the dump rubbish and they just don't give a crap mm. absolutely it's a com- community-minded people absolutely yeah. yeah so w- w- we've mentioned rubbish yep yeah, where where does that rank on, okay, on, the, so on was, the list of I knew things to? Uh, I've got my list here. All right, let's so let's just go. in Victoria this this year so far, eighteen thousand one hundred and forty nine dump rubbish reports, followed by parking. Uh, parking's a real bugbear for people. Ten thousand three hundred ninety three. 
um, damaged footpaths, 6,254. Complaints about trees. So actually we get a lot of, <laughs> a lot of posties. No, but no, There's trees it's, in it's, my way. It's well, too tall. No, but we get a lot of posties using it. Then they're, you know, they're just trying to do their job. Yeah. OH&S issue. They're riding down the street. There's a low-hanging branch. It whips them in the face. They get thrown off their bike. Oh, mm. man. So that's, that's a big issue. Graffiti is obviously big. Roads. Um, what are some of the other ones? Uh, water burst, playground issues, street cleaning. They're all pretty um, council-based yeah. though, aren't they? They uh, they are. I mean, I didn't tell you trolleys because it's, it's sort mm. of my trolley. The trolleys are the biggest and most popular in the whole the whole country. Really? We've also got really interesting. We've also done a partnership with Melbourne University. So one of the things that we can do is we can tailor the incident types which get presented based on location. So Melbourne Uni came to us. A couple of people used it then we, where they went, we love this. Why can't we use this on campus? So... We work, we've worked with Melbourne University now. If you're a student or a staff member and you see a problem on campus, whether it's a problem with the um, you know, with the grounds or whether the printer's broken or the computer's broken in the classroom, use Snaps and Solve to report oh, that. Dear. Oh, to build the No, and, and they, you know, they, the students and the staff love it because it's super simple to use. The university love it because it just get, goes straight into their system and, and you know, work oh. orders dispatched to go and fix it. And so it's, a, it's actually a pretty nice model. And the one app that you use maybe when you're on the, on the, on the tram or the train coming to university, and your same app you use at university, same app you use at home. Mm. So it's pretty cool. Mm. What's next? What would you What would you like to do in the next kind of year or so with? Oh uh, well, we we just where Snaps and Solve was a project that we kind of worked on um, at my old business, kind of for fun, and we'd get get you know uh, new team members to work on it and just get their hands around the code. And from for the last eighteen months, we're sort of now taking it pretty seriously. So we've developed up a heap of features. One, one great feature we just developed and we released is a triage feature. So what happens often is um, you report something to a council and it's actually not the council's problem. It's someone else's problem. Now with a click of a button, the council can log into the system and then just triage that to say Vic Roads or to Coles or to a water authority. And that's become that's going to be really popular. Um, and we've got a pipeline of features that we want to build, both from the kind of the snapper side, so the people who are reporting, but also from our um, our enterprise subscriber side, features like reporting and dashboarding that shows them visually where the hotspot of issues are in their mm. neighbourhood. And I think that's really interesting, maybe for councillors mm. and for the you know for allocating resources about well where we're we going to spend our money next year fixing problems. Well, there's a, you know there are a heap of reports. There's a, a faulty playground here. What's happening here? Mm. So I think that data and analytic piece is going to play out and really. Uh, be very interesting absolutely folks out there if you are interested uh, go check out uh, snapsandsolve.com um, available in all the app stores yeah, yeah. iPhone imagine. and Android just search for it you'll find cool. it get in there and if you're an enterprise and you want to get in, get on board with uh, being involved with you guys email me <laughs> <laughs> no no just jump on the website we, we're probably talking to them already cool yeah triple R Hey, you're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R with Dan and Warren. And we are excited to be talking about uh, VR and uh, potentially about games, but not necessarily. Um, we're now joined in studio by James Sheridan, who's uh, head of Asia Pacific at Igloo Vision and geeky about VR, which is great. Um, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, what, what was your first VR experience? What do you remember and kind of went, wow, I need to do more in this? I got out of university and I did a year as business uh, analyst and kind of um, doing consulting type work and just realized I, it was dead boring. And I just wanted to. <laughs> so I went back and I talked to some lecturers about getting into it 
And uh, they said there were two books you had to read. One was uh, Neuromancer and one was Snow Crash. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of read the books and realised it was something that was, uh, yeah, uh, quite interested in. So, um, yeah, went and did an honours thesis in VR and just gone from there. And what was around in terms of consumer VR tech at the time and was there a way to kind of, kind of you know, stoke the fire for you or it was a very different world back then i think everything was caves and immersive projection which is actually what we do but when people think of vr these days they very much think of a headset Mm. and so back then it was very much a square room and it was a single person experience um really really costly huge big military flight simulators uh that sort of stuff um and these days it's very much a consumer kind of uh personal experience it, it, it feels like the VR in you know, maybe the last five to ten years, there were a lot of kind of false starts almost. People were maybe making big promises about it and then not much would happen and then someone would come up with a new thing. Is, is, is that something that you guys were, have been mindful of in developing what you develop now? It was really weird. I guess the company started as a way for the guys to get into Glastonbury for free. And so um, <laughs> for the company, it was very much never a focus on VR. Uh, it was a rave tent uh, at Glastonbury. And so it was a venue for music and a kind of different experience where you are immersed in the music and visualizations of the music. And so it's kind of how the company started off. Uh, and over the last 10 years of the company's uh, kind of life, it's very much moved towards VR and simulation. And so we still do a lot of kind of um, linear stuff, a lot of movies, a lot of kind of narratives, um, a lot of cultural museum type work. Uh, but we do a lot of interactive stuff these days as well, museums, um, VR type training type stuff. Uh, and so it's something that I think is moving more towards the interactive and the simulation side of it. Um, but there is still a lot of great kind of narratives out there. Is there something about, um, I think headsets are good and that they're, they're getting better, but I find if you can't kind of directly see the other people and kind of like use your eyeballs to see their reaction, there's something sort of isolating or something kind of unreal about VR in a headset. What is it that kind of domes or tents or rooms has that goggles don't? Yeah, I guess our, the term we've coined is shared VR and it's very much a shared experience. And it's like a giant VR headset that everyone can stand in. And so it's really kind of uh, doing it as a group of people. And I think there's very much a place for headsets. Uh, They're a bit more immersive and you're really transported to that world. But if you want to have a meeting in there, you want to kind of discuss an architectural design, you want to walk through a home or have a training, having that natural interaction is really important. And one of the biggest differences we see uh, is things like eye contact, um, it's gesturing. Uh, It's when you're having, you can both point at something and then talk about that same thing. So a lot of the stuff that we do and are really growing industries, uh, architectural visualization and training. And whilst those can be very much group experiences, a lot of the stuff we do is still one-on-one. And even though it's a one-on-one experience and it could be very much done in a headset, uh, if you're trying to sell someone a new house or a visualization, when you say, hey, do you like this kitchen? Um, How their eye movement uh, Mm. kind of and how their body language changes is very important Mm. uh, in that process. Uh, and it's the same with training. If you're going to sign someone off to go and work in an oil and gas rig, uh, if you kind of say, all right, what does this pipe connect to? What does this pipe carry? Uh, how they answer that and how they carry themselves with the answer that is quite important. And so we did some training uh, and some testing with a university in the UK. And they compared a kind of um, desktop monitor, a headset, and a kind of shared VR environment. And there was no real different kind of quantitatively between how people remembered tasks and how people did wayfinding. The big difference was for the trainers and the people kind of running the experiences, they found it such a more natural experience and something where they felt so much more confident in signing someone off on a training exercise because they had a natural conversation about it. Mm. Uh, 
the first one that comes to mind for me is the uh, I think it's like the Vesuvius experience at the Melbourne Museum where you kind of go in and it sort of has the lava flows and you sort of go down in there and I, I guess that would be a similar kind of setup where they've kind of got it in the round. Um, it might even actually be do you, is it projected from like a central source in the top of the dome or yeah, yeah. very much what we focus on uh, is kind of. 360, so yeah. domes and cylinders, uh, and projected from the top. And so there are a lot of things where it's projected from the bottom, which is like a planetarium-type experience. Mm. And there's quite a niche. There's a huge amount of companies out there that do that. But what we tend to focus on is where you're projecting to the ground the whole way around you, a bit like the holodeck on Star Trek, where you're actually immersed in that. You're standing in the center of the room, and it's the whole way around you. So you're transported to that location. And a really good example, we do a lot of stuff with charities, and when you're standing in the middle of a refugee camp and everywhere you look, you can kind of see a tent city going off. It's something that has a bit more power than actually kind of looking at it through a window. And so it's transporting someone to that location that it seems to have mm. the impact on people. Is there a challenge for actually uh, projecting uh, onto these curved surfaces? Is there um, any weird kind of distortion or kind of thing that you have to account for? Or Yeah, uh, it's kind of all done. We do a lot of that in software and I guess my background was software engineering uh, and I uh, did a lot of the projection warping. And so uh, I guess typically things used to be done via hardware. People had expensive projectors to do this. And what mm. we've tried to do as a company is commercialize it and get to the point where uh, all of it's done in software so you can use kind of off-the-shelf hardware to do these type of things. Mm. And what that's done is kind of make it a lot of people that never would have thought about doing uh, simulation and VR are starting to look at these markets. So we're talking to an autism school here in mm. Melbourne. Uh, we're doing a lot of education stuff. People that never would have... I don't know, thought, million-dollar flight simulator. Mm, interesting. Um, what, what have been some of the technical challenges, like not even just at Igloo, but in your time in doing training where you're potentially tra training someone to kind of um, put out a fire or save a life or do some kind of surgery or something like that? What are, what are some of the things that you've had to really tricky challenges that you've had to address? Yeah, a lot of the stuff we do, a uh, huge amount in oil and gas and fire, mm. and it's creating scenarios that you can't do in the real world. Mm. Um there is a lot of kind of photography and video-based training. So a good example, we do a lot with the EPA in New South Wales. And the type of thing they're looking at is things like a truck rollover. Uh, it's really hard to train their new recruits as to what they do when they get to a scene like that. You've got flashing lights everywhere. You've got fire. VB ambulance. cans yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And what do you do? Who do you go up to? The local councilman or the police? What do you do as an EPA officer when you get there? And you are training the right response to someone. Oh, it's a waterway you go and you deal with. Um, all right, you need to stop the flow of a possible chemical into that. Mm. But then, uh, so it's really hard to capture these one-off scenarios that happen very rarely. And you can do that with photo and video. Mm. But a lot of the stuff we do with oil and gas uh, and fire, you can't just go and light a fire somewhere. <laughs> you can't, yeah. So the refineries, what they've done is they've made them really, really safe. Uh, and so they don't break down very often. They don't have many problems. If there's a problem, they shut themselves down. Mm. And they're really reliable. So it could be two or three years before they actually have to do a process like a startup or a shutdown. And typically they have maybe like five shifts on uh, and they run them 24 hours. So it could be 10 or 15 years before your shift is the shift that's on that actually does a startup or shutdown. Mm. So a lot of the people that actually go and start up a refinery have never actually done it before. Mm. It's crazy to think that you're dealing with such complex machinery and you are kind of turning on a refinery when you've never actually done that before. <laughs> and so letting people practice that in a VR, it means that they kind of get their... They, you're, you allow them to make mistakes, mm. and that's the really big thing because if you make a mistake virtually, you're not going to make it in the real world. Mm. We might need your help because no one's ever actually started this radio station. We just kind of got it like this when we got here, so um, yeah. it could happen at any I, point. I think a VR set to help me press the buttons correctly because the number of errors <laughs> I do on a regular basis, it's probably something I need to, uh, to work on. 
Uh, and what are some of the the sort of uh, I guess fun applications that you've worked on recently? Uh, obviously, there's kind of things like uh, um, I'm not a huge fan of racing, but we're coming into the racing season, and there's things like people want to have experiences and and do stuff like that. What are some of the more kind of um, you know offbeat kind of things that you do? Yeah, we've done some cool stuff um, with kind of four five G stuff recently. Uh, so kind of a lot of. Uh, Experiences, immersive drinking experiences. It's, it's funny how much of it does revolve around alcohol. Mm. Uh, but it's it's bringing in smell. It's bringing in wind, water. Ah, yeah. uh, and so we did a really cool one for a hotel in London. Uh, and you get a cocktail and you don't know what's in uh, the cocktail. And you're watching some really abstract visuals projected on the screen. And you're there drinking it and you don't know what you're watching. You don't know what you're tasting. And then all of a sudden they pump in the smell into the room and it all kind of connects together and you have this realisation of what it is that you're drinking. Mm. Um, that was a cool one. Cool. We did call one for Gore-Tex and it was uh, all about a virtual hike. And so you get to put on the new shoe and you walk into a room and you choose if you want to do the waterfall or if you want to kind of um, <laughs> go to the cliff. And you're there marching along and it starts raining. You get a bit of water sprayed on you. You get to the top of the cliff and the wind starts blowing in your face. Uh, so yeah, it was a good fun one to work on. Cool. So if you've got you know multiple people in the immersive room, that, that it's only controlled by I'm assuming one person. Is that right? So so if if I, if I'm the one that's controlling the environment, I, I I can I suppose be in charge of what everyone else experiences. Is that how it works, or do people have a bit of autonomy when they're in there? It really depends what you're doing. So uh, we've done some cool kind of ones for a, a retail store. And we could have 15 kids in there and they could all kind of draw on the screen and all interact with each other. And so uh, I think a lot of the traditional VR stuff research-wise came from a cave where it was all head-tracked and it was a single-user experience. And a lot of that's moved towards headsets. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we see being done is more a group-based experience. It really, really depends. Something like an architectural visualization, there's only one person taking someone through that and sort of looking at the design changes. And so it's very much instructor-led or kind of led by the uh, architect. Um, but from a kind of experience type perspective, uh, then I very much look at yeah group based experiences, how you get everyone involved in that. If people are interested in uh, working with you guys or kind of exploring some of this stuff, how, how can they connect with you? Yeah, look at the website uh, iglivision.com, uh, and yeah, it's something that we've only been in the country for a year and a half, so very mm. much kind of finding our feet here, uh, and uh, we're growing quite quickly. So um, yeah, very keen to talk to anyone that is. Uh, wants to get into the industry, uh, looking to hire a few people. But, um, yeah, it's something, I guess, is new to this area. And uh, if anyone wants to explore it, they're welcome to come to our kind of Melbourne demo centre. Thanks for coming in, James. Uh, good luck. Cool. Thanks for having me, guys. Triple R. Hey, you're on Bite Into It on Triple R with Dan and Warren. Um, just a couple of minutes left in the show before Anthony Carew swings by. Um, we did want to point out a, a couple of funny things that we uh, did see. Um, uh, if you like games as we do, um, you may be using Twitch. Uh, unfortunately, you've got one extra friend to contend with. Uh, Donald Trump um, is now on Twitch. Um, there is an election coming up, uh, I think, next year, um, and they are pulling out all the stops to um, get their person back in the White House. Um, there's only one video up so far, um, and uh, it's been interesting how they've had to moderate. Um, it's a, a good kind of case in point for community management. Um, some interesting comments this is our president lol keck peppy laugh um, <laughs> and there's some interesting comments about the um, uh, well I guess so-called ethnic cleansing of the the, um, the film but um, yeah a bit of commentary about um, should should Twitter be concerned about um, uh, their the president who loves Twitter so much he's got 65 million followers but um, also wondering whether um, Jeff Bezos is happy about um, him turning up on Twitch yeah see. I'm looking forward to seeing him on TikTok to be perfectly honest but um, be great yeah speaking of Trump on Twitter and other 
people who are well known on Twitter. They've put down some ground rules for world leaders. Um, so you know, obviously, Twitter is largely an unregulated forum. Uh, Twitter does have the interesting position of being able to take down and censor uh, mm-hmm. tweets that are you know out there, and have largely not done so uh, unless you know things are really really messed up. They've uh, they put in some ground rules that basically uh, say that they're not going to censor. Uh, tweets, but they will mm. flag ones that they consider to be, um, I suppose, a bit unsavory, and use and but keep them up there for comment and for retweeting with comment. That's interesting. Mm. Um, it's been an interesting show tonight. Thanks to Danny uh, from Snaps and Soul, and also James from Igloo Vision. Have a great night. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts. 